I want you to allow me just a little bit of latitude here. Randy, how are you? Allow me a little bit of latitude here. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious or anything, but the topic that I've given, I've been given, I'm not sure I fully understand it, but we're going to give it a try anyway. Um, I want to take you back to Genesis, the third chapter. I hope you know what happened in Genesis, the third chapter. Dave, familiar with that passage? In chapter two, if you recall, God created all of these things and he put some trees and plants out there and he made a special garden for Adam and Eve. For Adam, right? Eve came along a little bit later. In the second chapter, in the ninth verse, follow me here. Young people, I want you to stay with me. Let me, let me tell you something. The topic that I've been given, the world knows very little about. And when we look at our families, we look at our homes, we look at our society, I think it's a topic that we need to make sure that we're in... We have God's understanding of this and not the world's understanding of this. Verse 9, chapter 2. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. The tree of knowledge was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge, uh, the tree of, knowledge of good and evil, right? It was there. Verse 16. Adam looks at all of this. Sees that it's all good. Can you imagine all the things that were available to eat in the garden? A special place made just for us, just for our kind. All, you can walk up and pick and eat whatever you want. And there weren't any thistles. There weren't any weeds, right? And there was water that came up from the, from the bottom. We didn't have to worry, Mike, when's it going to rain next or not rain next? Right? It was all good stuff. It tasted good. But there was this one. There was this one in the midst of the garden that they weren't to eat from. Now God unites the first couple in that very same chapter. Who did God give the instruction about the tree of knowledge of good and evil to? Who did God give that instruction to? Who? Adam. He gave it to Adam. Okay. God unites the couple and they're there and they're naked and they're not ashamed. Interesting situation. Chapter 3, verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? Oh, now wait a minute. God knows where we are, right? Well, what happened between the end of chapter 2 and chapter 3, verse 9? What happens there? Now, can you imagine, and I, I, want, I want to put yourself in this situation with God. I can, because I'm a sinner. God comes up to you, and He puts your arm around you, and you say, look, I've made this very special place just for you. There's plenty to eat here. There's plenty to do here. All these things should be of interest to you, because I made them just for you. Oh, and by the way, there's one thing, there's one thing I want you to leave alone. I want you to leave that one thing alone. God said no. 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 Now, I can just imagine Marvin going with that one, can't you? <laughs> what part of no do you not understand? Do I need to spell it for you? Can I get it through your thick skull? What no means? Well, God just told Adam, no. No. 
Not that one. Got all this other stuff, right? Hmm. But in the ninth verse, God's looking for Adam. Where are you? And what are you doing wearing that silly clothes? What? Where'd you find those leaves at? So Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And God said to him, Who told you you're naked? Ah. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Did God know? Sure he knows. Why did he ask? Why is he asking Adam? Why did he ask him? Yeah, he wanted Adam to stop and think about it. God gave Adam one command. And he gave Eve, via Adam, the very same instruction, we hope. Men, I think we see a responsibility here, don't we? There was a period, some people call the patriarchal period, where it was the responsibility of the patriarch to share this information, right? And so we assume that Adam... I mean, is it complicated? Look, Eve, right over there, that tree. God, you know God, he's the one that made all this. He said, leave that alone. But look at all the other stuff we have to eat. So can you imagine God coming up to me after all this, getting down on one knee so we could be eye to eye, right? And so, now what part of this did you not understand? Was it complicated? Should we try again? How about one more try, Adam? Let's just reset everything and I'll give you another shot at it. Is that what God did? One rule. One command. And here's Adam. Here's Randy. Right? Verse 12. And the man said... And I put in there, and the man said, Well, well, let's see. Um, well, what am I going to say about this? Oh, yeah! You know that woman you gave me? You know the one. Came from, I still got a pain right here. No, that has nothing to do with marriage, and don't even, don't even go there. woman you gave me you know what she did she enticed me I was in a weak moment I wasn't thinking clear and you know she's pretty I just wasn't paying attention and she slipped it in on me I was, I'm not even sure which tree that came off of it tasted an awful lot like the one over here that we eat off of all the time She does outsmarted me, Lord. I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. Why did you make her smarter than me? I was just trying to keep her happy. Uh, by the way, which excuse have you used? So it was a woman. And oh... You know, by extension, Lord, if we think this through far enough, 
if we think through this for long enough, I really didn't want that tree in the garden where I lived. It, wasn't there some way that you could maybe build a fence around it? He could have invented GPS and given Adam a smartphone. So when he got close enough, the smartphone would start beeping and telling him to move away. Right? But by extension, when you, when you reason all of this out and you think about it long enough, who's really at fault here? You know, if God would have done the right thing, not put that tree in there in the first place, things would have gone a lot better. If God had made me smarter than the woman, I would have been able to see through her wiles. And if God... If God had not put me in this situation, I probably wouldn't have sinned. So who's really responsible here? One, one rule, one command. I couldn't keep it. What'd the woman say? <laughs> Serpent's fault. We're quick, aren't we? We're quick. Our minds race and by, oh, it just doesn't take us any time at all to justify what we're doing, where we are, what's happening, does it? We're good at it. And we're good at coming up with a reason that it's somebody else's fault. I've heard people blame God, haven't you? Yeah. I have. It was my garden. The tree shouldn't have been there in the first place. No! What part of no do you not understand? God is not some fluffy thing out there that does your bidding. By the way, Wade, you left out the part about entertainment. It's God's job to keep us entertained. To meet our every need. To be our genie in the bottle. You're shaking your head, Steve. I see you up there. 1,600 years later, what would God do? Hit the reset button. Well, let's try this again. Right? I'm going to flood them all out. Noah and his family gets to stay. Let's try it again. So he chooses a guy named Abram. Makes of him a great nation. They end up in Egypt. God leads them out of that through Moses, right? We know the story. They end up where? Mount Sinai, right? One commandment. No. All right, let's try it again. When you think about the Ten Commandments, how many are no's and how many of them are yeses? How many of them are negative instructions and how many of them are positive instructions? What's the ratio? What? You're close. Let's go through them real quick. No gods before me, positive or negative. No gods before me. That's pretty clear, isn't it? No graven images. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Three. Remember the Sabbath. Positive. Remember the Sabbath. Honor thy father and mother. Don't murder. 
Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness and don't covet. Eight out of ten. No, 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 no. What part of no do you not understand? You ever heard of mom? No, 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 no. Who does that? How often do you say, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, you can do that. Yeah. Uh, it's almost always, no, 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 no. And that's God, isn't it? Did God put you in a good situation? Did God put the children of Israel in a good situation? Yes, I know there's lots of other commandments that follow these, but look at these ten. Eight out of ten is no. Is there a chance that God thinks we have trouble following instructions? Is there a chance? Who heard those instructions? Let me ask you this. How many of you have seen the movie Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments. You've seen it? Yeah. You got the fiery finger thing coming in and zaps it right onto the tablet. Who's holding the tablet? Who's holding the tablet? Mo. You can you can talk back to me. It's okay. <laughs> Did Charles, is it all right to Okay. Audience participation. Who holds a tablet? Moses. Who else is around? Is that right? Think about it. When God gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, who's around? Everybody. They came up to the mountain. The mountain shook. The mountain was covered with, with smoke. The mountain was an awesome thing. Exodus 20 and 18. Now all the people witnessed the thundering, the lightning, the sound of the trumpet, the smoking mountain. And when they saw it, they trembled. Moses tells them in 20 there, verse 20, And Moses said to all the people, Do not fear, for God is going to test you. God has come to test you that you may fear Him so that you do not sin. Who, hold, who heard the Ten Commandments? They all did. First hand. Did they want to hear from God again? Mm-hmm. No, they went to Moses and said, don't let him talk to us again. That's scary. But you know what? That's the God I serve. That's the God I serve. He is awesome. He is scary. He can make the world shake if he wants to. And yet we soft soap him. We blame him for our problems. We tell him we didn't get a good start. We have problems in our life and we need God just to be patient with us and let us work through this time and I'm sure it's going to be okay. People have problems. I get it. People have problems. But let me ask you, for the child that is born into a dysfunctional house, where neither one of the parents are faithful, and the child that's born in a house that has wonderful, faithful Christian children, which child is given the pass? Which child can ignore what God has told them to do? None. None. The standard is the same, isn't it? And we have seen children raised in a godly family 
that for whatever reason leave the faith. And it's a sad thing. But does God change the bar because we don't meet it? No, 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 no. No. Are we responsible? Boy, don't listen to the world on this one. There's not many TV programs you can watch where you're responsible. It's somebody else's fault. I didn't understand. I needed a reminder. I was duped, tricked. They caught me off guard. The law should have been clearer. I don't understand, no. The law wasn't fair to me, and it wasn't fair to my kind. We need a different approach. It wasn't worded so I can understand it. I actually had a young man come up to me in a confidential conversation. Most of you don't know him. You won't be able to guess who it is. But he tried to convince me that the church, my leadership, our eldership, pray for us, was causing him to sin. Okay. (laughs) Well, the eldership had not organized. How long do we go, Greg? (laughs) Greg says, well, ignore the time. Well, okay, I'll give the invitation and we're out of here. He came up to me and asked me why the eldership had not organized some kind of an outreach program that he could participate in. What he wanted was an elder organized outreach. Let's go feed somebody. Let's go do something as a body so I can show up and I can check the box and say I've done it. And I've done what God wants me to do. Did you cover that? And since the eldership hadn't bothered to do that, he was sinning. Wow, how do you get there? I don't know. Who's responsible? Well, yes, yes, as an elder, I will give an account. I'll give an account. And yes, as an elder, I fully agree. When we come together, it needs to be meaningful. Mutual edification has its, has its problems. Not everybody prepares like they should. Agree? Agree. Audience participation, remember, Jay? Yeah. How many hours do you put in a sermon? How many hours do you put in a class? Are your classes on autopilot? Okay, next verse, next verse, next year. So there's nothing wrong with working your way through the Scripture from point A to point B. But if we come in not prepared, that's another topic. 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 10, verse. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Who is that? All? Will you be judged? Will you be able to point at your eldership and say, those guys didn't know what they were supposed to do. I didn't understand. No. They were supposed to explain it to me. 
Peter. What are you doing? Do you understand what God wants you to do? If not, ask somebody. There's lots of people around that would be glad to point at the Scriptures. But you, there's too many passages to go through. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. What is hard to understand about that? Are you a sinner? Have you said yes when you should have said no sometimes? Is there forgiveness for that? Yeah. Sure. Is it a guaranteed free pass and all I got to do is say, oops, and I'm on my way? No. What is the world being taught today? Well, they're being taught that there isn't any right and wrong. Who are you to make the standards? What does God say? No, 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 no. That's what he says. No. I'm sorry. It's my world. I made it. And you'll abide by my rules. I don't care what you think. I don't care what justification you come up with. I love these little conversations that occur. We're going to switch to the New Testament here just briefly. And we probably ought to quit before... What is it? The seed understanding outweighs the... I don't know what it is. Anyway, you're sitting too long. There was a guy named Marcus Antonius Felix. Marcus Antonius Felix. You know him, don't you? Yeah, you do. Actually, you do. Marcus Antonius Felix. He was a slave. He was a slave. Claudius Caesar came to like him. I don't know why. I don't know the situation. But this is what his historians tell us. Claudius Caesar liked him, groomed him, and promoted him to the office of governor. Marcus was attracted to the daughter of Herod Agrippa I. And we know Herod, right? What was his daughter's name? Drusilla. Now you know him, right? Drusilla. Drusilla was married. Didn't matter to Marcus. He wooed her away. From her first husband. No record that he ever married her. But uh, antiquity says that Marcus was responsible, directly responsible for the slaughter of 165 people. In one particular instance anyway. And Tychicus says that Marcus was a cruel, lascivious, base person. In Acts the 24th chapter, the 24th verse, Paul runs across this guy Name Marcus Felix. When Paul goes before Felix, this is who he's before. Now, how easily do you think it would be? How easy do you, wow, Dave, I messed that up. How easy do you think it would be to scare a guy like that, a bully? You've known a bully? Thinks he's got all kinds of power, thinks he's got the world by the tail. He's been given a powerful position by a powerful man and so he can do what he wants and he can kill people and he can whatever. And Paul comes before him 
In its 24th verse there, Acts 12, chapter 24, he says, After certain days, Felix, Marcus, came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and he heard him concerning the faith in Christ. After Paul reasoned righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix, what? Trembled. Huh. Really? Trembled. You know that word in the Greek means frightened, right? He was scared to death. And he answered, go away for this time. I, 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 for a more convenient season, I, I don't want to hear this right now. Huh. What could Paul have said that would scare a guy like that? Righteousness, being Christ-like, like God, right? Righteousness. So Paul told him he needed to be that. Paul told him there was judgment to come. And maybe Felix wasn't feeling good that day and thought maybe he could die from worms or something. I don't know. That happened, right? What I'm interested in is temperance. What does temperance mean? Yeah, I heard it. I heard it. I heard it. A little louder. Self-control. Self-control. You know that word that Paul threw at Felix only occurs in the Holy Scriptures two other times. Peter mentions it when he tells you to add to your face knowledge and all that stuff. Yep, temperance is in there. We need to be adding that. Adding that. And Paul in Galatians 5 and 23, what's being listed there? For the Spirit. Only two times that we find that exact word. Did you know that you need to exercise self-control? Now, yes, this, this, is not, this is not a talk on walking in the Spirit. And understand that when we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit helps us to develop these things, and we can get better. We can get better at self-control, can't we? By the help of the Spirit. But before the Spirit enters the conversation, it takes self-control to get the mess under control to bring it to Christ and put it at the foot of the cross, right? Self-control. I don't know why, but God has given us some amazing drives, some amazing desires, things that sometimes overwhelm us, things that sometimes cloud our judgment, right? We get all foggy for some reason. And God gave us those things. Used for good to His glory, they're wonderful. But like nuclear power, there's a negative side of it. And He calls us to control those things. I want you to imagine a child, if you can. Imagine a child. Parents, listen carefully. Imagine a child that is not taught the proper understanding of the word no. I'm going to count to ten. Usually they say I'm going to count to three. I'm not a counter. Ask any of my children. I didn't count. Would the world have you teach your children the absolute understanding of the word no? 
No. No. You're supposed to take a raving, crazed, out of control, 12 month old, and sit him in a chair and sit down and reason with him. I understand why you'd feel this way. The milk wasn't as warm as it should have been. I'm sorry. I'm only human. Please forgive me. Lucas, you taking notes? I don't know. I don't understand it. God tells us no. God tells me no. God tells you no. God told Adam no. God told the children of Israel no. And you need to tell your kids no. I think it's that simple. But if you want to sit down and reason with them, okay. But your job is to get out of the way, remember? You only get safer. Well, we had a kids, we had a parenting class at Smart Road uh, not too long ago. And uh, one of the parents said that their understanding was that they really had pretty solid stay up until age seven. And then after age seven, you start getting all these other voices in the kid's head and who knows what's going to be told them after that. And you got teachers involved and you got siblings involved and you got the internet involved. And wow. So you get seven years plus or minus to teach the child what? How to obey God. That's what you need to teach them. And in amongst that, you're going to have to teach them what the word no means. And how they're supposed to respond when they hear the word no. No is a powerful thing. It's an important thing. And it has everything to do with self-control. And it has everything to do with helping you build a fence around your spiritual life. Because the closer you get to the Spirit, the closer that you work and understand what God wants you to do, and you surrender your will, which is really the only thing you can control, right? You surrender your will to God's will. The fence goes up, life gets better and better and better. And you draw closer and closer and closer, and you realize what this life is really about. What is this life really about? Are you not being prepared to operate in the spiritual realm? This is dirt. Stack of dirt in front of you, right? This goes away. I am being prepared to operate in the spiritual realm. I'm being prepared to operate before the throne of God. And you know what? When I arrive there, it shouldn't be a shock. It's a transition, is it not? I'm preparing to fly with the angels. And it's going to be way cool. I need to get closer and closer and closer. And understand that no is good for my spirit. Understand that obeying God is good for my spirit. Understand that bringing these drives and these desires that push us one way or the other. Should we flip a coin when we go to church today? I wasn't raised that way. No, there's no guarantee that when you walk in the door, you're saved. Sorry. The checklist approach does not work. But the sign that the Spirit is at work in you is what? Being with the body, being with the family, doing the work that God has called you to do because 
You're created unto good works, right? That's what feels good. That's what the thing that feels good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, I had some stuff on um, Dr. Henry Cloud of Henry, Charles Henry Cloud, the book Boundaries. It's really it's it's a pretty good book, um, and it it sets up some good things for us to understand about how to control our our temporal lives so that we have so that we have our priorities in order because our temporal lives will overwhelm our spiritual life. Will they not? They will. I'll guarantee you they will. I guarantee you they will. Oh, there was one quote back here that I thought was worth mentioning, and then we'll, uh, I'll give you a break. We'll be done. A couple. No is an instrument of integrity, a shield against exploitation. Lucas will explain this to you later. No is an instrument of integrity, a shield against exploitation. It often, costs, it often takes courage to say it's hard to receive but setting limits can set us free. Setting limits can set us free. Sometimes we use the word no to be set free. Can you tell the world no? And I really like this one because there's some people that are way too good at no. Do you know people that are way too good at no? Can you help us? No. We be that no. I got a little cold. I won't be there. In other words, what you're telling us is we can't count on you. Well, I am busy. Where negativity is an ongoing attitude, no is a confident and clear choice. You see the difference? Where negativity, where negativity is an ongoing attitude, and we do know people like this, I try not to be one of them. Pray for people that are. No is a moment of clear choice. I have stopped. I have reasoned this thing through. I've weighed it out. I've looked at it in in the light of the scriptures. And in some cases, I've prayed about it. And no is the right answer. No, honey, we can't sign up for your fourth soccer league. That can't happen. Parents, no, 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 is a very, very important word your, your children need to understand and that you need to use wisely to teach them so that they might obey the Lord. Because if they don't understand no, it's a long trek. It's a long trek to be what God would want them to be. Doesn't mean they won't find it, but it's a long journey. You've all heard, you've all heard Christ's invitation. I hope there's nobody in this room that's reasonable, that's waited out, that's looked at the facts. I can tell you, I love portions of this life is tremendous, especially when it comes to grandkids. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. But my job here is not to have as many grandkids as I can and not to, not to spend as much time just only doing grandkids stuff. My thing is to make sure that they're taught. That we might spend eternity together. Now, parents, that's the goal. If you want a goal, plan to spend eternity with your kids and do everything that you can to get that done. Because what's coming is great. 
But if you have said no to the Lord's invitation, what do you think, Jay? Straight up? Damn to hell. Right? Right. There's no negotiation there. It's not a gray matter. If you've not confessed Jesus and followed His commands and been immersed into His blood for the forgiveness of your sins, you are damned. You have said no, whether you've done anything or not. Say yes. And say yes now. Don't assume. Don't assume. People die in their teens all the time. It's sad. Why would you put a Tide Pod in your mouth? I don't understand this. Go figure. Kids do dumb things to themselves. Guys, don't do that. It's a long life, and I can tell you the things that you do in your teens come back to haunt you. I was going to have to stand up just so that Mike and I could stand up and get the creeks out. If you said no to the Lord, change your mind today and say yes as we stand and sing the song that my nephew has chosen.